This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week I sit down with Mary DeMuth for episode two of a three-part series for parents of prodigal children. Mary has authored over 40 books, including Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. Today, she talks about disconnecting your worth from the decisions of others, including your children. She also encourages parents to have a holy curiosity about the beliefs and positions their children hold, to listen and ask more questions. It's a beautiful conversation that doesn't gloss over the challenges of wayward children, but encourages us to love well. If you find my conversation with Mary helpful, or if someone pops in your mind who you think would appreciate the conversation, I would be grateful if you would share it with them. Mary Demuth, thank you for joining me again on the Grace Enough podcast. So great to be here again. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We are talking about something a little bit different this time, um, and that is parenting our adult children. And as we were saying earlier, you're not really parenting them in the same way. And I think it's incredibly difficult to talk about that relationship when maybe your children are making some choices or living life that is much different than what you had hoped for when they were young. And so to get this conversation started, will you share a little bit of your story of just dealing with that? Like all the things you hoped and prayed for when your kids were little, kind of how that's different as they've gotten older, um, and maybe some of the struggles that come with that. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of parents go into parenting with, even though we're not given formulas, we kind of see them as formulas that if you just do these seven things or these four things or these three things, you're, you're kind of guaranteed. It's like a machine. You put them in at the beginning of the machine and the, the output of the machine is these, you know, adult children who love Jesus and are making all the right decisions. Um, unfortunately that's the, the problem is, is that we birthed humans. And although I really love free will for myself, I don't really love it for my children, but the Lord is very so gracious. True. <laughs> <laughs> He's very gracious to give hundred percent of us free will. And so, um, what I've experienced, and I think every a parent of adult children has experienced is they exercise their free will and whether you like it or not they are autonomous individuals and there is a learning curve, mm. especially when you've, you're kind of in those realms of when they turn suddenly turn 18 and they're supposed to be an adult and you've had, you know, a normal way of parenting, then suddenly you're not in that role anymore. And mm. so it's, it's very bewildering for parents to go through that, but then it's also bewildering to know, well, how do I, can I be an influence? How do I do that? And that was, kind of the whole gist of love, pray, listen, I asked the question, what can you do? Well, you can love them. 
you can pray for them, you can listen to them, but there's not a lot more you can do, but those things are very powerful. Yeah. And now how are your, how old are your children now? Uh, they are 30, 27 and 25. So right. they're in their, they're in their mid to late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. So they're really, um, yeah. I mean, it's like that first when they fly the coop and then I can't even imagine, cause you know, I've got a 13, um, how old is my other child? 13, 11 and eight. <laughs> and even just watching them begin to become their own person at this age is an interesting thing, right? You know, how much do you let go? How much do you hold on? Are we teaching them the right things? You know, and even if we do, that doesn't, there's no guarantee with that. And so I think we see that a lot. And so as you've journeyed through these various stages, you know, what have you found to be some of the ways that you can just stay joyful in parenting, stay loving in parenting, even when your kids are maybe making you crazy over simple things or making some really destructive choices? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, because I haven't, just to be honest, I haven't always done that perfectly or well. And since I am a human making my own choices, that's just the, mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. Um, but what I have found is I've, I definitely have had to disconnect my worth from the decisions of mm. others, including my children. And there is that evangelical tie, I think mm -hmm. of we gain our esteem from how our kids turn out and for right or for wrong, um, mostly for wrong, because we're individual autonomous human beings before the Lord and our worth comes solely from him. So my joy has come from recognizing that I can be happy and I can be joyful, even if the people I love are making choices that break my heart. Mm. And, you know, that can apply to younger kids. It can apply to our parents. It could apply to our closest friend. Um, but that is the truth. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean you don't name right. it. It doesn't mean you don't pray about it. it. You're not stoic about it. It's just that you learn that the joy of the Lord is your strength, not your perfectly aligned life. Mm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I want to talk all about that. Um, so that is a process, right? Because sometimes it, it's like my friend Cindy says, you know, you really don't have the grace to face certain situations until you're in the situation, right? Like you hear all the time, I could never do that. I don't know how someone, you know, parents, um, after their kid has an accident, maybe, and your whole mm -hmm. world is turning, I could never do that. I think that is so similar, even in parenting, um, in a situation where, there, it feels hostile because it's so different from what you were raised with. And so is there any encouragement there for parents who are living that reality now, but they still want to be in relationship with their child, but it just feels just so much tension and frustration. That's where, uh, again, the title of the book comes into play because you can always, if you're not being ghosted by your child, which mm. is a thing, um, you can always love them. You can reaffirm your love for them. You can listen to their life and find things um, that bless them and send them surprise gifts. You can do mm. things like that. Um, you can get on your knees and pray for them. You can, if you're in a relationship still, instead of trying to impart knowledge, 
simply try to ask questions and be a, become a reflective listener and say, oh, okay, I, I see why that was frustrating for you or, um, okay, we may not agree about this political issue, but I want to know how you came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to have this like holy curiosity for your child. And sometimes we just have to think of them now that they're adults, we have to think of them like neighbors, Mm -hmm. maybe even neighbors that don't know Christ. So we wouldn't go to a neighbor who didn't know Christ and be like, let me tell you all my political views that I think are right. And, you know, you just (laughs) wouldn't do that. You would slowly form a relationship. You would listen. You wouldn't judge. You would just be excited to get to know them. And you would know that that's a long road. And it's similar with our adult kids. Uh, It may be painful to listen to how they've reached their conclusions. But um, if you can create the kind of haven-like environment where kids want to come back to you, I mean, I've had that experience even today. Not only do my kids come to me for advice a lot, which is really beautiful, their friends are. I just got a text message, voice message this morning from one of my daughter's friends who's like, I need some help. Can you help me? And so that to me is a, is mm. a high, um, that's a, you know, that's a gold star, you know, of yeah. if I'm that I'm doing that, I'm actually listening and I am trying to apply wisdom to their lives. This episode is brought to you in part by beyond ordinary women ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership at bow. We believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. You said earlier that you didn't feel like you always did that well. And so I'm curious about what was that journey like for you, like really saying, okay, I've got to listen to whether it's your, I mean, anybody really, this, this really does apply to anyone because we are creatures who are quick to speak, not all, but what I've learned is even the ones who aren't quick to speak like me, as I vomit out the mouth way too much, you know, like that, there's also this other side of the coin where people will just completely say silent and show no interest in someone's life out of frustration. And to me, that's equally as distancing as overflow of the mouth. And so what was that journey like for you to say, like, okay, I'm going to start listening and asking questions? Yeah, I think for me, it was putting my foot in my mouth a few times. Mm-hmm. And really, I think, and, and I, I haven't really ever said this, but I think it's it's something that makes sense to me is that I can't invite my children into my grief over their choices. Mm. 
Mm. I think Mm. that's where I went wrong. I would let them know I was grieving their choices (laughs) instead of going to a friend, going to my husband, Mm. going to our life group, you know, what, whatever. And grieving appropriately because you have to grieve you can't just pretend it's not happening you have to grieve but uh i think it was hard when i was trying to invite them into my grief they just couldn't bear it they you know it was hard enough for them making all these choices uh that was breaking our hearts <laughs> but to have that added layer kind of like this shaming guilty thing put on them um mm. and i regret that so i've learned to process differently. And when I do that, what I have found is when you grieve it and you grieve it properly and well, I could prior to that, all I could see was darkness. Like I couldn't see my adult child. I couldn't see any light, but when I grieved it and and named it and asked God to help me with my grief, once I got through that and I, Mm. I, you know, work through it, then suddenly I kept seeing how God was doing all these amazing things in their lives, these little tiny breadcrumbs that I was missing because my cloud of grief was so great. I couldn't see breadcrumbs. So I had to work through the grief and then I got to see the breadcrumbs. Gosh, that points so much to, to the guilt and shame and bearing the weight uh, as a parent of feeling like we've failed. And I think sometimes, you know, that goes right along with the grief, like dealing with that I that guilt and shame you so often feel that, you know, your Proverbs 22 verse didn't come true, like train your mm-hmm. child in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. And we, we as evangelicals, like you say, parent from that so often. And then if you have a child that chooses something different, the weight of that is so heavy. And so talk to us a little bit about experiencing that own personal guilt and shame. And then when you think about this eternal destination that we also get so caught up in, I mean, parents are like, oh my gosh, they're going to spend eternity away from Christ, which is a big deal. I'm not trying to poo-poo that Mm -hmm. down, but how that does cloud our ability to love them and loving them is going to be what points them back to Christ ultimately. And so what has that been like for you? Right. Well, the first question was about, you know, training up a child and, and guilt and parental guilt. And so I think there's two sides to that. One is um, anyone listening to this podcast has failed their kids. (laughs) I mean, that we're a hundred percent of us. So, um, so that is important, but also to remember that even if we do look back on our lives and we think, oh, there were some things that I really regret, like I just mentioned, mm-hmm. it's not too late to say you're sorry. Amen. Um, and it's not too late to ask for forgiveness. I think that mends a lot of bridges to humbly Amen. say, I really, when you were 12 and we had this argument, I remember it. I shouldn't have said that thing. Hmm. Um, so you always have that opportunity to repent. And then the other thing is not to live in the shame of parental guilt. And that is to remember that Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden with a perfect parent in a perfect environment and hmm. they fell also all of humanity did. And so God understands wayward humanity far hmm. more than we ever will. And so we can go to him when we have wayward children because he absolutely, completely, utterly understands. He is a parent of billions of wayward children. We've all gone astray. So that has helped me to kind of take some pressure off of 
He has a unique plan for our kids. We also have to remember the end of that verse that says when he is old, he will not depart from it. But we, as American Christians, at least, we we think that old means in their 20s. Right. But uh, when they're out of our care, quote unquote. Right. We don't know. First of all, of course, that's a general principle in in the Proverbs. Mm -hmm. It's not like a promise Promise. for all time. It's It's a general principle. But also, I think we don't know what God's going to do in their life in their 40s, their Mm -hmm. 50s, their 60s, their 70s, their 80s. We don't know. He is the one who loves them. He has a plan for them. And he knows perfectly how to reach them. And so that to me is gives me some peace of mind knowing it's not up to me necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing parents struggle with. We think it's up to me. I'm supposed to lead my child to Christ. But what if he uses somebody else? What if he uses some circumstances? What if he has to bring your child to the rock bottom of some sort of terrible choice, which none mm-hmm. of us want, but that happens sometimes. What if, what if, what if, um, I have seen the people that I prayed for in my life. None of them really came to Christ because of my direct intervention. It was usually somebody else, some other way. And we have to give God space for that. Yeah. And I mean, I, it, it can be really hard to do. Um, and then I try to remember, like, that's also God's sanctifying work in us. You know, when you start thinking about there's God's always at work in everyone. And and that's so easy to miss. You know, I always talk about how until the day of Christ Jesus, like that's when we're all complete and we don't get to see that full picture. Um, rarely, you know, (laughs) like we don't get to see that full picture. And so, Talk to us about this because something you talk about in the book is really viewing and and what you just said kind of alludes to that, but viewing this, your child through the lens of the model of discipleship that Jesus uh, models for us. And you know how that can be different or not can be, but is different than this formula method. What hope is there in that? How does that help parents of wayward children who are just really, really struggling? Yeah, I, <clears throat> it reminds me of obviously of Jesus and his disciples and the people that followed him around and he just did life with them. He poured his heart into them and, but he also prepared them for the future. He sent them out um, without anything. And, <clears throat> you know, they he had this method of, you know, kind of pushing them out of the nest before he ended up dying and resurrecting. So I think that's really important. And for parents who have kids that are young right now, that is a really interesting model for us because we are supposed to be working ourselves out of a job. If we are high control Mm. for toddlers, that's important. You need to have high control for toddlers. You don't want them running out into the street. Right. But every year from that toddler year, you should be relinquishing control so that by the time they're 18, it's a gradual letting go. And it's a natural way to say goodbye at that point, because you have gradually let them go. The parents I see see that struggle, they stay with high control their whole lives. And then suddenly their child is gone and they have zero control. And a lot of those kids, there's a, there's a study I cited in a a book I wrote several years ago that um, the study was kids in high control parenting environments that don't decrease their control over time and let their kids become autonomous adults. Those kids are a, a lot more likely to find a cult leader in college 
because they've only learned how to mm. follow an adult to tell them everything they had to do. And uh, when they, when that vacuum comes in college, then they just gravitate towards someone that just tell me what to do. I don't want to have to think for myself. Wow. And so discipleship is doing life alongside someone, but it's also growing them up and giving them more and more and more responsibility, just as Jesus did with the disciples. Well, that is an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Because Jesus didn't just keep, I mean, he didn't just keep them under his wing for the rest of his life or their lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, which is really, I, I mean, I guess I'm just processing that myself. When you think about when he sit, did send them, send them out to share his message, you know, he's like, go and do what I've taught you. Like, I've taught you to do these things and I trust you. Isn't that a big part of it? Really letting your kids know that you trust that they can and will make good and bad decisions. Mm hmm. That can be hard. See, I'm I'm processing why I'm talking to you because I don't have adult children yet, <laughs> but I am hoping and praying that they come to us and ask us for guidance. Um, just yesterday, there was a situation with some friends of ours who, you know, they had a difficult thing with one of their daughters who's just now a teenager and Basically, it turned into something where, you know, she lied about it. And, and you know, you're trying to figure out what do I do here? What, wh how do I not have so much control that I push them away to where they're going to keep lying, but also let them know there's a consequence for this? And wow, who knew it was going to be so hard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it, it the older they get, the harder it is. I mean, it. it you know, you think, oh, the toddler and baby years are really hard and they are exhausting. That's what I was going to say. They're physically exhausting. Physically, <laughs> but they're, they're emotionally exhausting the older they get. And so you just shift from one to another. Yeah. Well, in, in your book, like you said, you know, there's love, pray and listen. And so let's talk a little bit about prayer. I mean, that is something that you even have a daily show about and obviously something that you hold in high regard, as do I. But how do you, um, or, or maybe I should ask when you're thinking about your adult children, even inviting a community of people to pray, like what has that looked like for you? Just maybe speak to prayer a little bit in these situations. I think it depends on, um, in terms of communal prayer, it depends on the safety of the group mm -hmm. that you're sharing that with. Absolutely. Um, we have a, a, a safe space to do that. And we've yeah. established that in our life group. We're the leaders. So we get to set the tone. And so, uh, it's, it's a safe place for us to say, I'm struggling with my adult child and let's pray for them. And so I'm so grateful. There's other adults out there bearing mm -hmm. the burden of this, not just me. I also, I would be cautious though, about publicly sharing these kinds yeah. of things, uh, because, your children are now autonomous adults and they get to own their own stories. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, you can imagine I was very cautious in the way I wrote this book because I don't want, I just changed names. I changed situations. I used a lot of examples from other parents um, who also changed names and changed things because we don't, it's not really about them. It's about how we're learning how to, navigate the waters of, a, of their adulthood and in our changing role. Mm. And so that's where it has to kind of end at that point. When it comes to that, you know, you, you do, we can do so much damage to relationships if we're not careful in this online world, right? Yeah. It feels like you can just 
uh, share everything. And it's like, no, um, that really does hurt people. And I don't, I don't think that's the goal for parents, for anyone. And sometimes in our frustration, um, we can share things and maybe not so safe places. So that's a good word. Well, tell me this when you, well, Crystal Evans Hurst in your conversation with her, I love something that she wrote in her show notes. And so I want you to talk a little bit about it. You've talked a little bit about, um, you know, God being the perfect parent to imperfect children, but this is what she wrote. And it might be a quote from you. I can't remember, but she wrote, if God was the perfect parent and he gave his children the gift to choose and the freedom not to choose him, we must recognize we cannot guarantee a certain outcome with our children. We have to give them the freedom to choose as well. And that means accepting their choices. The world has sold, sold us the lie that love equals applauding everything someone does. This is simply not true. It's a fallacy that if you hold to your convictions, you are not loving someone. You can choose not to applaud or accept everything as long as you always choose to love. Just expound on that a little bit because it is beautiful and true. I remember saying that. So I think part of this is my quote, but uh, that is the, that's the weird measure of love that we have evolved to in the past several years that love equals not only approval, but applauding. And I believe there's a beautiful middle road and love brings us right into the center of that narrow road that we're to be walking. And that means that I believe you can love someone. And if you do love them, you're not going to applaud sin. Uh, that's not love. You may not like hammer them about it, <laughs> but they should know where you stand. And so my rule of thumb is say it once, at least, even though your kids may know that you believe that that choice is wrong, at least say it once, but don't ever say it again. Once you've said it once, it's been established and then be mm -hmm. quiet and pray and trust that God is going to make, they, they probably know that you don't like what they're choosing anyway. If they're addicted to drugs, I'm sure they know that you don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, if they're choosing a dif different gender, I'm sure they know that you don't like that, but at least communicate once, you know, this is why I believe this way. Um, I love you. You make your own choices. You are your own autonomous person, but this is my conviction. I'm not going to say another thing about it. I will love you till the day I die or you die, or, you know, one of us goes home. Uh, but you know, it's okay to speak the truth in love. Jesus said that we have to, Paul says that we have to, and so we must balance the two. Too much truth, it becomes harsh legals, legalism. Too much love becomes enabling a sinful lifestyle. Mm, yeah. And when you, and I'm sure you've encountered someone in this situation and may have been you, like when you come up with these situations where maybe it is a choice that you disagree with, but then, you know, you're, you're as a parent, do I go to the wedding? Do I not go to the wedding? Mm -hmm. Do I, I mean, gosh, like whether it's personal or other people navigating those waters, what would you say to that? It's so hard. And I've seen people go both directions and get criticized. Yeah. I think no matter what choice you make, you're going to be mm -hmm. criticized. That's yeah. where we as Christ followers are so 
blessed to have the Holy Spirit within mm. us. And the Holy Spirit is going to beautifully guide you. Um, for some, it may mean going to the wedding. And for some, it may mean not. I don't yeah. know because only the Holy Spirit knows the entirety of the situation. Um, I'm reticent and hesitant to say, well, you must always do this and be dogmatic about it because right. there, these are real gray areas and um, only the Lord knows how to help you navigate that the best. It's not a very fun way to answer the question, but, but it it's does true. require us to get it's on It's not black and, and white. See, yeah, it's not. It's not. In matters of love, it, it, it's a difficult those are difficult things to decide. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to things like that too, I think it's easy to think, oh, well, the Holy Spirit says the same thing every single time. And if not, you know, my conviction should be your conviction and on and on and on that goes. And that it's true. It's just, it's not that easy. And we often don't know even um, the relationship those people have held for years and years and years. And it's just a lot more complicated than, mm -hmm. yep, if you don't do this, you're wrong. Yeah. And I think other parents, I think part of the problem and stress of being a parent of an adult child is the judgmental feeling we may feel. It may not even be out there, but we just feel it of other parents. We just experience of, oh, what are they going to think of us if we do it this way or do it that way? Um, we have to let go of that and not be people pleasers and really seek the Lord to just joyfully do what he tells us to do. And then come what may, may let the Lord defend you. He's mm -hmm. the defender of your reputation. And really, I mean, our reputation doesn't matter as much as the reputation of the one who loves us. So, oh. uh, we have to be careful about that. Mm, that's a good word. Let's close with this. So often, even like what we believe theologically differs so much now that we can both be claiming to be believers. And I'm not saying children aren't, parents aren't, whatever. I'm just saying sometimes we can claim that. Yet what we believe is so vastly different that that also can create this hostile type environment. So you have people, who, you know, whether it's your adult child or you, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, yet one, the parents like, you can't be because there's no way you can hold all these doctrinal stances and be a Christian. What encouragement do you have for those parents wanting to hold on to that control? I would say we have to first look two ways, one to the global church. So to realize that the global church uh, those people who love Jesus on the other side of the world um, hold some different beliefs from us, but do love Jesus. And then we have to look backward into the historical mm -hmm. church. And there were people who loved Jesus who came to wars over this. And so there we have to hold space for that. Mm -hmm. And then also to understand that our kids are not as they always will be, just as we are not as we always will be. I look back on my theology in my 20s and I disagree with me back then. <laughs> oh my gosh, even from five years ago, yes. I disagree with me. So <laughs> yes, so if you can give yourself that kind of grace of your theology evolves over the years, mm -hmm. then of course your kids are going to evolve in their theology. Don't necessarily take their stance that is opposite of yours to be an indication that they're not on a journey. They are on a journey and, you know, also be teachable because mm. 
I, and it's helped reshape my theology. And that mm-hmm. is mm. I, we're once they reach 18, we're on the same level playing field. I'm no longer their elder in that sense. We're fellow sojourners on a journey and I can learn from them. And I also think we need to be careful about politics because we have, especially, you know, I live in the South, so, but I'm from the North and (laughs) yeah. Uh, So there's a very specific way that you have to be in the South if you are a white Christ follower. And so I have seen a lot of parents who cling to that political identity, whatever it may be, whichever side of the aisle it may be, and believe that that equals Christianity. And so when their child has a different political ideology than them, they they insist in their minds yeah. that their child is not a Christ follower. We have to be very careful with that and very gracious with different positions. For instance, having conversations, let's say you're talking about um, abortion, huge issue, yeah. you're talking about it around the table. What we have found that has been a lot more interesting and a better conversation is let's find our common ground here. Well, we can both, con- we can all say, we are really pro-human flourishing. We really mm-hmm. want to see everyone flourish. Now, I may extend that to the unborn, and one of my children may not, but we can at least agree that we want to see humans flourish, and we do recognize the problem and the systemic problem of unwed pregnancies and why they're, you know, why those are so painful. Mm-hmm. So that can be a very different conversation than one is right and one is wrong. Amen. Yeah. Caitlin, um, she's, did I say her name was just on the show. And I mean, she talking about that very same thing, like, you know, there's a way of what you were talking about earlier, just piquing your curiosity, even like, I see that you're so passionate about that. Tell me more mm-hmm. that sometimes even just being interested in why someone cares about something so much can really just soften the tone a bit. And may influence us, like what you were just saying, it may actually open our eyes to something we had never considered. Mm -hmm. And then what a nice thing to be able to just have adult conversations with your adult children. Like we dreamed about that when they were preschoolers, talking our legs off about Pokemon when you didn't care. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it just having that teachable, humble, um, open-ended question conversation. And that that's something that my husband and I learned when we lived in France, we were, mm. our family was church planters in France for a couple yeah. of years. And we would sit around a table with French people and we would argue back and forth. And then my French friend would take the opposite opinion and argue back. And, and I'd be like, this is, first of all, as an American, I was like, conversations like this are very stressful. And because we always have mm-hmm. to have a winner, like to us, winning is winning the argument. And I realized that for the French, and then we, then I would think, oh, they must hate me because we've been arguing. And then they would kiss me on the cheek, each cheek. And I'd be like, why do they still like me? I thought they hated me. Well, I learned that the French just love to argue, (laughs) which is true, (laughs) but they like to understand an issue. And so they take both Mm. sides because it's interesting to them. And the win is not whether you won the argument or not. The win is getting all the perspectives on the table. And that has really changed the way I look at having a conversation Um, instead of looking at people as someone I got to beat and win and combat. It's like, Hey, let's try to see if we can get all of this issue out on the table. And if you want to take the opposite Mm. opinion and argue it, 
cool. Let's learn all the aspects of it. Then that's the win. And that's a whole different way of looking at conflict. Wow. That's really helpful for me as that sounds like my husband and my oldest son, who's 13. I mean, and my husband's side of the family, they love to just debate. Not, I don't want to say debate even, like you said, like just putting it all out there. And I, the whole time I'm like, Oh my gosh, can we just stop doing this? Conflict, this conflict. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm in a pressure cooker yeah. and I'm going to blow and I don't even care about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the reason I don't care is because it feels stressful. You mm-hmm. know, I, I probably be interested if I looked at it that way versus right. where's this going to end up. But anyways, well, uh, Mary, thank you so much for your work. As we close out here, would you mind to close us in prayer? I rarely ask that. Um, but I think for this series, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. And then also just a freebie before I forget, because it involves yeah. prayers, marydemuth.com slash LPL, which stands for Love, Pray, Listen. So marydemuth.com slash LPL, uh, you will receive a whole year of prayers with blanks in them where you can put your adult child's name in. Um, and awesome. so that's absolutely free. So if you want that. Yeah. And Mary has so many awesome free resources at marydemuth.com. Um, she is like the the best at that. So make sure you check it out. <laughs> awesome. you are. Thank you. Okay. Thank let, you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the parent of the wayward child. And that child could be seven or 17 or 27 or 37. And Lord, it's a it's an ache that we carry. I pray that you would surround them with people to help them mourn and grieve and work through so they be, can begin to see the, the breadcrumbs of your grace in their adult child or their child's life. Lord, I, I don't minimize the pain of what that is. And I know that you can come alongside. Give us the wisdom that we need to know how to have those conversations, to know when to, to engage with something and when to back away. And Lord, we always have the opportunity to love, to pray, to listen. I do pray for those parents who've been estranged from their kids, as that's also another really painful thing. And I pray you would walk with them through that. I pray your grace would permeate them today and that you would just do a change in the heavenlies, Lord, as I'm praying this, that there would be a a change in attitude, a change of outlook, um, and to find our joy solely in you, not in the choices that our children make. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're interested in hearing more of Mary's incredible story, I have linked episode 94, Hope After Sexual Abuse, in the show notes. There you will also find the resource links Mary mentioned, her book, Love, Pray, Listen, And the first episode in this series, just scroll down wherever you're listening or visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash wayward. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.